0: Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TB Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. If you haven't done it already, hit subscribe on YouTube, turn on those notifications and connect with me on LinkedIn because really, I'd love to stay connected with you. Now, today you are going to meet Ashley Lynn Olson. She has an incredible story and one that is so inspiring and also at times difficult to hear. At the age of 14, she was in a devastating car accident that caused her to become paralyzed. She also lost her dad and her family was injured in this crash. But she's turned it into something positive. She now runs the site wheelchairtraveling.com. She also has written a book just hot off the presses. So she's an author, she's an educator, and she's educating us today on accessibility and also how to travel when in a wheelchair. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, today i am so excited to meet and already having plenty of really fun offline conversations before we started this episode ashley lynn olson who has the wonderful blog wheelchairtraveling.com she's an author an educator a writer so much more that she's going to tell us all about (laughs) hi ashley welcome to the show
1: hi everybody hi tamika thank you so much for having me it's such an honor
0: it's it's an honor to have you so there's so much I want to dive into with you, but first, tell us a little bit, kind of give us the, the high-level story of who you are and what you do.
1: Well, currently right now, I manage a website full-time called wheelchairtraveling.com. It's an online resource for people who have limited mobility and who want to travel the world, and of course, that also means their friends and, and loved ones and everybody else who tra- likes to travel along with them but it enables them to either independently um, plan a trip. Like if they wanted to go backpacking around Europe and find different hotels and transportation, or if they wanted to do an organized trip, like do a tour, there's information on that. Just basically prepare themselves to know what to expect. Cause I find that that definitely helps improve the quality of life.
0: Tell me, I know you have your own story, um, which I'm sure is how wheelchairtraveling.com was born out of it. And by the way, which I have to add, gets over, I mean, I know you have an updated number, but you have over 30, over 35,000 visitors to your website every month.
1: Yes, it's a very popular website. Um, I am very busy doing also podcasts, trying to share the information if there's medical institutions or universities, Facebook groups, any and everything, any way that I can basically get the word out to get people just feeling more confident, independent, out in the world, traveling, doing what they love, I'm gonna find a way and I'm gonna help try to contribute to it. That's
0: amazing. It's amazing accomplishment that you've you've created. and. I've been on the site and I mean, you have a vast amount of information and resources on there. So it's really great. But I want to go back to before the website existed and how this all came to fruition, your story um, and and why this is an interest and passion of yours. I know, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but at 14 is when you were in this accident where you became paralyzed,
1: Yes, my family was going out to Colorado for a family reunion and my mom really doesn't like to fly, so we we decided to drive and we were basically on the border of Utah and Nevada when we hit a really big monsoon rainstorm. Car hydroplaned, spun out of control and rolled off um, the road into a ravine Um, and it rolled a couple times. I was thrown out of the back of the vehicle. My father was instantly killed on impact. My little sister had minor injuries and my mom had major, major injuries, including her legs completely being crushed underneath the, the dashboard of the car. So previous to that, I was on my way to get a basketball scholarship at Stanford, had the grades, had the skills. So I was on my way, had a scout and everything and my life changed in an instant, completely 360, had to learn how to do everything all over again, how to learn how to sit up in bed again, how to learn how to put my pants on again, Um, basically just function in life as best I could in this new world, in this new life, um, as quote unquote normally as possible, just like everybody else. But it was very clear that I wasn't (laughs) normal once I went back to school.
0: Wow, I mean, and thanks for sharing that. I know you just mentioned all the things that you had to to relearn, which I mean, I can't even imagine I can only relate to on like the smallest level as far as having had one minor accident myself, which I fell off a ladder in my backyard and and broke my wrist and had surgery. And but that was my only experience ever with something like that. And obviously not comparing Comparing it anyway, but having gone through physical therapy and like having had that happen for the first time, it was a kind of a wake up call. Like, because I couldn't even tie my hair, I couldn't tie my shoes, I couldn't hold a glass of water. Um, and it was extremely motivating in the sense of, okay, I, I need to go back to how this was before and whatever that requires. Like, I need to do all of my exercises and, and relearn and do all of that because I kind of now. See in a way how I took for granted just being able to use all of my limbs so easily when just for an instant that in the quickest moment can be changed and taken from you. so yeah, it's scary it's scary. so thanks for sharing that and obviously this is you know a devastating I could imagine experience, but you mentioned all of the things that you had to relearn physically, but I could imagine at the same time um you were also having to deal with the emotional and mental aspect of losing your dad
1: yeah losing my dad having my dreams that i literally had been working towards since at least second grade and so i was really working towards that my entire life and to have that squashed i i felt completely completely lost and being in high school too, it was really difficult. You know, you're—I was going into my sophomore year of high school. Your hormones are raging, um, just like any any young teenager. And I was exploring, um, or starting to explore, who I was as an, an individual, as adult. You know, outside of my parents, outside of my teachers and my school. I remember the first time after becoming paralyzed going back to school and at lunchtime being in the school quad where everybody at lunchtime you know all the tables are set up everybody's hanging out backpacks have just been thrown everywhere which before was always such a joyous time for me i would like run and jump and flirt with the guys and mm-hmm. you know talk to my friends and just be a young teenager but now this quad became just a minefield of separation for me where backpacks, like I said, were literally scattered everywhere. Um, I would have a conversation with somebody or maybe I wanted to say something to somebody else and getting to that other person became you know, a 15 minute process of getting over to them. And right before I might reach them, they would move because <laughs> they, they wouldn't see me. They wouldn't know that I was coming. Right. You know, I wouldn't make a formal announcement because I just wanted to tell them something. And yeah, that was very, very, Difficult and and, and eye opening, having that whole world feeling very separated. I didn't want to have the attention and the drama, of me being really upset of not being able to open a door or pick up something, and um, have it turn into be you know this really emotional you know attention. Oh yes, actually you're paralyzed and something's wrong with you. And yes, I didn't want that kind of negative attention on me. I just wanted to. You know to figure it out the best way that i could and you know keep the peace and function as best that i could in high school which was difficult
0: yeah And, and when you say they do you mean um you know your your classmates in high school or were you also that way with your family
1: definitely yeah with with my family as well um just because there was so much that i had to learn that I couldn't really tap into fully, like the emotional state of what I was going through. I needed to be able to, you know, transfer to a toilet, for example. And that was something that was, that took a very, very long time to learn how to do again. And so I didn't really wanna emphasize or even or even go there, because to me, there was no point at that time because there was just so much physically that I had to Mm. understand and deal with that emotionally, I just I just couldn't go there.
0: I I would think you would need to deal with the emotional aspect, but it, it almost sounds like it would be too much all at once.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was—it would be too much. So we were all kind of—I mean, my whole family even talks about this now—that we were just in machine mode, mm. um, even at like my dad's memorial. Um, I mean, I definitely cried, um, but for the most part, everything leading up and everything afterwards—it was all part of a show. Just kind of like when you're getting married, um, you know. For the most part, in in a lot of weddings. Um, getting married isn't not necessarily about the bride and groom. Um, They're kind of the ones on, on display, so to speak, and they have to perform and and be a certain way and do certain tasks and, you know, show everybody that they love each other. And, you know, and that's kind of what I had to do. I had to just show everybody that it's going to be okay. I knew it was going to be okay, but it just wasn't okay. Right. Then and there. Right. Um, Right. In 10 years, I was going to be perfectly fine. I knew that, or even in five years, I knew that my life would be completely different, but at that moment in time, right after my accident, it wasn't, I, I really was not okay. It was a very difficult adjustment and um, time in my life.
0: So what point did you feel, do you feel as though you started to process um, the emotional side of it? I'm assuming that it's love and passion for traveling and seeing the world, um, creating this website, but I'm sure before you were able to come to the place of, hey, I can create a resource that helps others and share the knowledge and experiences that I've learned with others, you probably had to process your own emotions to a certain degree.
1: Yes, def- definitely. it's it's was definitely a roller coaster. Um, there was um, a, a number of particular points in my life that were, that were life changing. Um, One was exactly a year after the accident, I was doing physical therapy at a children's hospital and I decided to go on the balcony and, you know, just do some writing. Um, I've always been a poet. And so I've always found that has been a very good way to um, express myself or at least get something out that maybe I don't even know how to express, but it comes out in words. Yeah. And I remember sitting on this balcony and I wrote a poem basically about basically being a bird and sitting on this ledge and watching, watching this world, this black and white world and watching people scurrying away, not knowing what's right or wrong and just kind of going along with what's what. And I, I just decide to take the plunge. I just decide to commit and jump off this ledge and see what's gonna be in store for me. And I jump off the ledge and as I'm soaring, I look at my fingertips and I see them turn a turn a royal blue because I was living in a black and white world, which was this, this walking world that I was in, just trying to, um, you know, live day by day, you know, doing the best that I could, doing what my teachers told me, doing what my parents would tell me, doing what I thought I was supposed to do. And that just wasn't a world that I was in anymore. And so I really had to um, take the plunge, so to speak, and commit to this new life, this new life where I wasn't gonna be able to walk and make a commitment, make a choice, to accept it. And so I jumped off the balcony, you know, kind of fearful what was going to happen. And I changed colors. I I no longer saw the world as being black and white. I saw this whole other shade of life and existence that I never knew existed. And that was because of my paralyzed life. And then another really powerful moment in my life was um, uh, going to Europe for the first time. And that was after I had graduated high school and my teachers had planned, you know, a trip. Um there was a couple teachers and a couple parents and like 50 kids and we got a good discount, you know, trip plan where we all went to Greece. I've always wanted to go. I was always fascinated by Greek history. Mm-hmm. And this was before the Olympics. So there was absolutely zero wheelchair access. And now I was basically pushing myself to go to a completely different world where there was no access, where nobody knew exactly what to expect. Teachers, nobody knew exactly how to prepare me for this. Um, but we just, I just decided okay, I'm just going to go for it. We're just going to go and see what happens. So my friends had to carry me everywhere carry me up to the Acropolis one one person would piggyback me the other one would carry my wheelchair when we would go into restaurants we would have to take apart my wheelchair and then put it back together because the doorways were so narrow so
0: small yes oh my goodness were
1: crazy small I would have to be you know literally plopped down on a toilet anytime I had to go to the bathroom um but I learned. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself and the power of, of adapting to your environment, especially unfamiliar environments. And then a couple of years later, when I was in college, I was in Germany. I went to Berlin for the first time and had a completely different experience compared to compared to Greece, where Greece everything was hundred percent not accessible. Germany did have some access so that really lit a fire that two comparisons definitely lit a fire in me in many ways but it definitely lit a fire to start documenting my travels and what I saw and experienced so I really wanted to create a platform where I could just put all this information there you know basically to create a path yeah for the next traveler
0: We talk so much now about accessibility um, I, I think, more than in the past, at least in the US um, and conversations that I've had, especially with with guests on this show. What was your feelings about the lack of accessibility for people with in in wheelchairs or with disabilities? Like I I just it's kind of surprising to hear that. I mean, I've been to Greece, so I'm visualizing this as you're describing. And I'm just like, yes, this I could imagine this being a a huge challenge
1: yeah i honestly i thought it was borderline a civil rights issue i was i was literally concerned for people in wheelchairs like who live how there How they get around how do they go to the market and have a life and go to the bathroom and, and and live you know this is like a civil rights thing and it became a running joke with me and my friends that i'm like okay they either lock them in a room or right. they take them out back and shoot them because Throughout the entire trip I did not see one single person in a wheelchair besides myself. And it wasn't until the second to the last day of that trip that I did see somebody. And I went up to him just very enthusiastically and you know oh
0: Yeah, I wanna know what gosh. he like, said. <laughs> like, how do you
1: live? You know, I just started spewing just like oh, with all these questions. And he just looked at me just like, I, I don't know what you're saying. Like I, yeah. I don't know. I don't speak English, but I did get a picture with him, oh my but goodness. I did. So I did get to see one single person, but I was just shocked and appalled and also then very grateful for the access that I did have coming home.
0: It could be one of those things like um, you don't know what you don't know. So if he, you know, hadn't traveled to the US or other places that have more accessibility. He might just feel as though, hey, this is what it is. And and I'm I'm used to it. But yeah, I, I mean, I could that's what I was thinking. I'm just hearing the story and feeling angry. Like, wow, yeah, you guys yeah, haven't was, come it was, it was any really further than this I, at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was definitely a lot a lot of points of, of anger and just like, why, you know, like, why would they why would they do this? Why would they not? create access especially in places that were popular tourist areas or just right exactly to like the post office or just you know common common things like that it was really interesting but what you said about um how he was just you know used to his environment um again this was i was pretty fresh still to being paralyzed and um not super active in in the community as well in terms of the wheelchair traveling community in the wheelchair world So I wasn't really talking to a lot of people and getting feedback about how they were doing these things. And years later, once I was doing the site, I had spoken to a guy in China who lived there just about access because China has horrible, horrible access. And even um, they have such horrible access that I was explaining that for the Olympics in Beijing, they actually created access And then after the Olympics over, they actually removed a good portion. I don't know if it was everything, but a good portion of accessible features. And I remember talking to a gentleman about this, about how he got around and lo and behold, instead of using a wheelchair, he gets around on a motorcycle. Boom, He he, he has customized a motorcycle where his legs, you know, are nice and secure, and he's able to get through narrow passageways, which he wouldn't be able to do in his wheelchair, get up and down curbs, cobblestones, you know, sometimes even go into stores that are familiar with him, where he can just go, you know, wheel in obviously slowly and safely, get what he needs and leave. And that's how he gets around, that's how he does it. So I feel like there's there's always, if there's a will, that there's a way.
0: In order to make things accessible, it's really gonna come from people who are in wheelchairs to speak up, to advocate, to create laws that, you know, force these things to happen. Because again, those of us who are not, it's not apparent, It's not top of mind unless we are directly impacted most of the time or have a friend, a family, a loved one who is. um, Otherwise, we're just not thinking of it until it happens. So it's I'm just wondering if part of it is in other places as well. individuals in wheelchairs aren't put in positions to advocate for or have the voice to advocate for these changes or aren't, you know, local leaders, political leaders in those countries, but they need to be, obviously.
1: Yes. I, and I know they're trying, but yeah, even in our country, um, there are people in wheelchairs, you know, who are holding political positions locally, state and, and otherwise. And it's still still quite challenging. One of the foundations of why I even started the website, because I you know, in addition to just leading a path for other people, I literally just wanted to show the world, yes, we want to be out here doing things.
0: Yes. So you started the website I guess after those two trips, first two trips, is that right?
1: Yes, after those first two trips, um after I graduated college, actually um I was working full time um at a winery. And simultaneously working there, um, I was also, I was then starting the website because I kept on gathering more and more information. Um, and then once I had, you know, five kind of solid reviews, I'm like, okay, yes, like, let me just start putting this out there, put this on the web, step-by-step blood, sweat, and tears. I created my first website and now what you see today, you know, is at least seven or so websites later.
0: Oh, wow. OK, so many iterations of it. I mean, listen, I know how that goes, right? When yes. you have a passion for writing and creating, you know, and I, I think it's as quickly done. as it's never done, <laughs> my SEO person will always say that she's when I said, hey, my website's finally done. I'm happy. She's just like, no, a website <laughs> no. is never done. No, 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 you no, always no. keep yeah. building pages yeah. and adding to it. Um, and again, so impressive that you have over 30 or 35,000 or 38,000 monthly visitors to this website. So break it down as far as the resources that are on there. Obviously, we're gonna to link to the website um, below as well. Um, but as far as what can people find, who is it for and how is it helpful?
1: Um, so the mission of wheelchairtraveling.com basically is to empower people with limited mobility, their friends and loved one to experience the world of accessible and leisure travel. So I basically want to give everybody guides about destinations or, um, are interested about learning. How am I going to get around what car rental companies, you know, can I rent? There's places that I've traveled to where majority of the restaurants have at least one step up into the business. Um, so you might have to have more time searching for, you know, places to eat. Um, and then of course, uh, tips on flying about packing, um, equipment um, you know, bathroom needs, all these different, very basic things as well, just to kind of make it possible. And then, um, in addition to guides, I have information about, um, tour, um, companies as well.
0: In your travels, what have you found to be the most accessible place? And what would you say is the least?
1: Overall, I was actually extremely impressed with Japan's wheelchair access just Their accessibility overall, I was just absolutely impressed by. People were just so helpful and um, along with the train as well, something that the United States definitely needs to learn by. Um, Again, their train has been around for a really long time. Um, To make every single um, train station and platform completely even so somebody can roll onto it completely easy is much nearly impossible on our planet just because of earthquakes and the way things shift and whatnot um but what they did is they have their own section like they do at many places here in the united states where somebody in a wheelchair can go through the ticket kiosk um or they can fit their wheelchair through just like normal um but the ticket agent always asks would you like some assistance And I just got in the habit of always saying yes, because they literally would walk me down to my appropriate platform, which if you've been to Japan, um, their train systems, especially in Tokyo, are really complex and color coded, brilliantly designed, very friendly once you actually understand the system, but very complex. Um, But this train attendant would walk me down to the platform and would pull out a plastic ramp. The train would arrive, he would fold out the ramp, I would wheel on, and then he would say, where are you going? I would tell him, him or her, and they would actually call ahead to that train station and say, hey, I have a gal in car number six. She's in a wheelchair. And every single time, there was always somebody there waiting for me with a ramp to fold it on out so I could just wheel on and and continue on my journey. Um, New York needs to learn something about that system. It was just absolutely incredible and so efficient, and it didn't slow down traffic at all.
0: How about the, the least accessible place? Can you share that one? Or where you found, I guess I should say, the, the biggest challenges? Um,
1: Greece definitely was a challenge, of course, before the Olympics. Cobblestones, no curb cutouts, of course. Um, I have found that there are certain major cities in the south that have been more challenging. Um, in the south of the United States. okay. yes. Charleston um, and Savannah, Georgia, in particular, um, in terms of cobblestones and then businesses that. Don't want to do anything to make their front entrance wheelchair accessible. Um, They don't find the need to make it accessible. Of course, that's not all of them.
0: What can I do? We do. Others do to help when it comes to accessibility?
1: The number one thing that I would like to suggest to everybody is to use person-first language. Address the person, not the disability, not, not the cover of, of the person, not the cover. Focus on you know the person as is. And it's OK to ask questions. Never, never assume what somebody can or cannot do, and that's for somebody who's disabled or not. It's just good to ask, would you like some help? May I help you? May I be in assistance to you? Yeah. I love when people ask me that. I love when people like ask me if I need help. Maybe one day I am just really tired or my hands hurt or you know whatever the situation is and I could, that help really would be quite nice. So it's always good just to use um, you know, those very helpful words, you know, not assume, but yes, may I help Absolutely. you? Absolutely,
0: I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And then as far as here in the United States, um, how much more, how much further do you think we have to go when it comes to wheelchair accessibility? Uh-oh, the reaction <laughs> on your face tells me a lot.
1: A wheelchair that costs so much money starting... $5,000 upwards to $30,000 or wow. sometimes more. Should be taken care of when flying on an airplane. There is no reason whatsoever that somebody should have to be so incredibly fear- fearful flying across country um, or across the state. Um, worrying that one, the wheelchair might be broken and then not usable for when they arrive at their destination or two, that the wheelchair just didn't even arrive. Sometimes a wheelchair doesn't get put on the right airplane. So you're going to Detroit and the wheelchair is going to LA. These things should not happen. A wheelchair is not a set of golf clubs. It's not a stroller. It's not luggage. It's a completely separate item and it needs to be classified and handled in a very different way. Parking enforcement, is non-existent in terms of handicap accessible parking everybody abuses it absolutely everywhere and it's pretty disgusting um i would in terms of how to combat that i would like to see what's done in other countries instead of just having parking spots just for people who are disabled or handicapped you have parking spots for people in wheelchairs
0: absolutely i have loved this and Those helpful tips, I mean, I think all of us can benefit from hearing and being advocates along with you as well. So thanks for sharing that. Tell us how we can find you, the website again, connect with you on all the socials, and also the name of your book and where we can find that as well.
1: Yes, so the website is wheelchairtraveling.com, and I'm on all the major social media that you can find me, Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, even Pinterest. I have a ton of videos on YouTube as well. And my book that I just published in September is called Yay, Confined.
0: Congratulations. It just came out. Hot off the press. Yes. Congratulations. Yes, hot off the press. It's <laughs>
1: it's called Confined to a Line. And you can find it on, on Amazon. And it's basically about a journey that I had where I literally had to be confined after a life or death surgery to a hospital bed for basically six, six months. And mm. eight of those weeks I spent in a nursing home where I had to lay flat on my back, like I said, for eight weeks, 24 seven. And I do mean 24 seven. I couldn't even sit up to take a pill. And the ironic part wow. is that right right before that, I was actually really getting into meditation and I really wanted to, you know, I was looking into doing some kind of retreat. I'm like, oh, I wanna be lost in nature and not have my cell phone and just really get immersed in this whole meditation thing because I have been reading all these books, but I really needed to put it into practice. I really needed a challenge and well, Be careful what you wish for. I got a solid eight weeks of that where I was definitely challenged. So I had a window and it had a tree. And while I was staying in that hospital, it was fall time. It was right before Thanksgiving when I was released. So I was able to watch this tree change colors and drop its leaves and watch the birds dance around in it. And for the most part, like, it it was my savior. It was my inspiration to the outside world, what I could look forward to, but what was also inside of me, that strength, that peace, a tree just knows how to be. It takes everything, what's going around, you know, around it and it still, it keeps growing and it keeps growing stronger and its roots grow deeper. And, you know, it keeps reaching, you know, to the stars and to the sun. And that's what I, that's what I needed to do. What I learned is that I feel like it's okay. Sometimes in life, um, to enter into the dark forest of our emotions where, you know, we feel lost and things are complicated and estranged, strange, and we don't really know what to do. Um, that's okay. Like, don't get stressed out that you're in this, this dark forest, but just know that you can get out whenever you want to life it's just made up of little things that's all we are made up physically moments everything is just little things so if we just focus on those little tiny things you know they can't help but grow so if you're in that dark forest and you focus you know on that one happy thought that one tiny thing you know that law of attraction you focus on that one thing other light will just keep growing to it and it will keep growing and growing and growing and then all of a sudden you're no longer in that dark forest anymore you are surrounded by light and it's the light that you created you don't have to listen to anybody else it's the light that you found on your own
0: absolutely well ashley thanks for sharing all of that i want to make sure we link to confined to a line and where to find that as well as your social and traveling.com as well because again those are resources that i think everybody could certainly use and enjoy and benefit from and also be an advocate alongside you. This conversation has been really wonderful and eye opening. So thank you for sharing and being so open and honest.
1: You're very welcome. And may, may I share just one little bit of, of a poem with you? from, yeah, from the Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's from a poem called You'll See. And it says, you'll see the fight is not over, nor can it be won that sometimes to give in makes you the stronger one. It's OK to give in to your surroundings. It doesn't make you weak. Um, I feel like it, it gives you perspective. It allows you can, to see more than, than what's there.
0: Thank you. That's beautiful. beautiful. Thank you, Tamika. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Ashley just as much as I did her resilience, her perseverance, her ability to take something so negative or devastating or what could be and turn it into a positive and then going ahead and creating an incredible website, wheelchairtraveling.com that provides resources to those in wheelchairs, but also their loved ones, friends. And family, So make sure you go ahead below in the show notes, find that information, find her contact information, make sure you connect with her. Also find her book that is below as well. And make sure you connect with me if you haven't done so as well. We come back each and every week with new episodes. I would hate for you to miss out I'm all the places. So you're going to want to subscribe on YouTube, connect on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. So I'll see you back next week because I know you don't want to miss out. But until then, stay happy, stay healthy.